So, have you picked up on just how angry everybody seems to be these days? It's just so, so much. Um, it's it's so, so big, it's such a global phenomenon that um, news uh, organizations and newspapers are picking up on this all around the planet. Uh, New York Times had an article headline that said, Why is everyone so angry? The uh, Harvard Business Review, they even did one. Frontline work when everyone is angry. Even our own papers here in New Zealand, Harold ran two stories. So much rage and division is New Zealand headed the way of Trump's America. I'm proud to be an American. <laughs> um, and they also ran another one. Why are we so angry and what it means for election year? Outrage has seemed to taken over our culture. Now, in preparing for messages like this, kind of topical kind of numbers, I do a little Google hunt just to see what's out there and kind of preparation. And, and as I Googled, I Googled uh, this word outrage. And when you do Google outrage, what you get is 154 million results. 154 million results about all kinds of people being outraged about all kinds of stuff. And as I was doing my little Google hunt, I came across a comedian. And the comedian was talking about how, being so surprised by people that are genuinely, uh, usually calm people, are actually getting really, really angry. And it's a bit of a, a comedy routine that I won't share here. Um, but it gave me an idea. So I started to search for groups that I think have a reputation for being mellow. And just, you know, kind of harmless. And just see how they're doing with the whole outrage thing. So I googled uh, vegans. Vegans outraged. Um, over a million and a half results on vegans outrage. Turns out vegans are testy. It's because they're hangry. They're just so hungry. Anyway, um, so then I kind of kept on going down this road. Gardeners, gardeners, gardeners. Mother Earth type people, outraged, nearly three million hits. Uh, one headline I, wrote, I read was this, TV gardener sparks horticulture outrage for calling begonias ugly. <laughs> you all don't mess with my begonias. And so um, then I thought, oh, what are other groups like this? Knitters, calm knitters, you know, usually chill people sitting around the table chatting and knitting away. Over two million hits of outraged knitters. Seems that knitters are becoming unraveled all around the world. <laughs> They're just kind of tied up in knots, right? And, and they're easily needled these days. I'll stop. Dad jokes. Put aside. Then my procrastination kicked in. And I got a little nuts. And I just started looking at, like, really random stuff. And so uh, I thought, yoga people. Yoga. Outraged yoga people. Four million hits about outraged yoga people. And all these things about why is yoga making me so angry? Because no one's supposed to sit that long in that way. Um, I thought another calm Buddhist. Outraged Buddhist. 2.4 million hits. And I thought, who are people that are genuinely happy? I thought, clowns. Clowns outraged. 2.6 million hits on, on clowns being outraged. And I love that headline. Isn't that great? Clowns offended after being compared to politicians. <laughs> I love it. So we're living in an age of outrage. Right, and, and now maybe you're sitting there going, you know, I don't get outraged. Really? Outraged? I get a little ticked off, but I don't have an anger problem or a temper, temper kind of problem. Well, things like harsh words, 
passive-aggressive behavior, blaming, resentment, depression, constant complaining. They're all possible symptoms of anger. So it's something that we got to deal with. So we're doing another one another. And today we're going to look at one another on relationships, looking at, you know, some of the 100 verses about how to relate to one another. And um, if you haven't had a chance yet, we're also paralleling our study with this video series called Healing Relationships on Right Now Media. If you are not part of Right Now Media, it's our kind of digital library, over 20,000 different uh, Bible teaching videos, uh, conference speakers and things. And that series is on there. It's all free. It's our, it's, it's our gift to you. Um, but it's a chance to just kind of look at this series on four short videos on what's it mean to heal the relationships that you're in and to be a healing presence in all relationships that you're a part of. So we're doing that as well. So today we're talking about anger. Red, got it. Um, now, I actually used to have an anger problem. I really did. I, I had an anger management issues. During my uni days, I was just this hot-tempered young punk kid. Um, I was explosive, actually. I overreacted to everything. I would lose my temper and fly off the handle, probably because I was still shaving with a tweezer instead of a razor blade, and I was kind of mad about that. Um, but I had this anger thing going on with me, and I had to deal with it. And, and, and I'm very aware now that I could go there. I could go there. And, and so much of this morning that I'm going to kind of look out for us is related to the process that I had to follow. I actually had a pastor walk beside me on this one. And, and I continue to follow it today on how do you stay even-tempered in a world that is actually pushing buttons and wanting us to be angry. So today, what I want to do is I want to speak about what do you do with your anger? So many different things we could talk about. What do you do with your anger? And how can we relate to one another in a way that's not angry, in a way that's different from a society that just seems so angry at everybody else? Ephesians 4, verse 31 says this, Get rid of all bitterness. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, notice Paul doesn't just talk here in this verse about uh, the more violent, explosive components of anger, like rage and brawling. I mean, brawling. I've never brawled in my life. I'm not going to get beat up. Um, but he also included the other stuff, bitterness and slander and, and malice, some of the more passive-aggressive forms of anger. Because there's a lot of people who would never punch someone else in the face, but wouldn't hesitate to talk about them behind their back. Passive-aggressive anger. Um, nursing bitterness their whole lives, and it's ruining relationships. Slander. Slander um, without excuse, being rationalized by the general Christian community, uh, forwarding a post that uh, kind of makes fun of or, or belittles somebody you disagree with ideologically or relationally or politically without any fact-checking whatsoever. Passing on information to someone uh, in, the, in the guise of Christian concern without checking to see if it's actually true. Malice, that's literally evil intent. Evil intent. Wishing the worst for people that you perceive as different from you or opponents to you and your beliefs. Um, instead of doing those things, Paul goes on. He says, instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. And this last clause, really important, just as Christ, God, forgave, past tense, forgave you. 
The past tense part is so important. If you're dealing with anger and rage or any kind of character flaw, really, God's not up there going, man, as soon as you deal with that, I will bless you. As soon as you get control of the anger, I'll bless you, then I'll like you, and I'll forgive you, and I'll love you. He's already done it way before you even considered dealing with the character flaws. He did it through Jesus, and and he's simply waiting for you to receive that gift of grace because he loves you unconditionally. See, this topic today of anger is not about shame. It's not about finger pointing. It's about transformation. So once we get that, that that's how God looks at us, then you start to tap into that power that allows you to see other people the same way, with the same kind of unconditional love and grace. God loves you. He forgives you. That's why he sent his son Jesus. He wants us to thrive. That's why Jesus says, I have come to give you life abundantly, a life that's abundant of, and full of love and joy and peace, all the fruit of the Spirit. And anger stops that. Anger keeps us from thriving. The Bible talks a lot about this. For instance, the Bible says that uncontrolled anger is just flat out unhealthy. It's just unhealthy. Um, Anger is bad for you. Proverbs 37, it's so blunt. Stop. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Um, I found a study this week in my little Google search that said chronic anger was linked with coronary heart disease, stroke, cancer, colds, flu, generally poor health, poor decision making, and substance abuse. That is like the anti-bucket lists of what you want in your life, right? All the stuff you don't want to happen in your life. And we make this stuff worse, all that worse, by nursing anger. The other thing the Bible highlights is that anger is actually contagious. It's contagious. Um, Ever notice that if someone else is angry, you'll get it. And if you're angry, somebody else will get it from you. I mean, consider it. Look at any council town hall meeting or any public protest rally or any Baptist AGM. It just kind of happens, right? It just happens. It's contagious. Proverbs 15, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. And then finally, the Bible gives us another warning. Uncontrolled anger is also intoxicating. It's intoxicating. It's like a drug. Um, a Psychology Today article, the headline write, read, it's anger addictive. And then went on to write about how anger produces some of the same brain chemicals as cocaine does in our heads, that, that head rush you get from anger can literally be addictive and make you do and say really silly things. Proverbs 14, 17 says, quick tipper person does foolish things. Think about it. Have you ever calmed down? Ever calmed down if you lost your temper and you look back over something you did or something you said, and, and in that moment when you're all hot-headed and you've kind of been ashamed and you thought, man, I acted like such a fool, such a fool. Anyone ever kind of felt, acted that way, felt that way? Yeah. The reason for that is because you were. You were a fool. It's biblical. It's biblical right there. And, and that's why. Um, research keeps highlighting this all the time. Research project out of Harvard said merely being exposed, merely being exposed to angry words reduces our ability to process and recall information. 
You can take all the vitamins you want to take and go to all the Pilates classes you want to go to. But if you continue to expose yourself to anger and outrage, you're going to keep taking three steps back. Three steps back. Because it's unhealthy, it's contagious, and it's intoxicating. So what do we do about it? What are the steps to controlling my anger? Because it's just an emotion, right? Anger is just an emotion, not a big deal. It's neither good nor it's bad. Uh, it's what you do when you, it's, it's what you do with it that matters. It's how you express it and where you channel it that matters. So the Bible has already highlighted all the wrong stuff with anger. So what I want to do now for the rest of the morning is look at three biblical principles that has kind of helped my own anger management way back in the day and continues to help people in this way. Because we all get angry. And you get angry not because you got Irish blood in you or because you got Italian blood in you or, or you're from the white ghetto. Um, <laughs> you get angry because it's part of the human condition. We get angry because there's actually people trying to make you angry. Like all the time. Because anger makes money. It makes money. Um, Wire magazine had an article about how headlines that evoke emotion of outrage are by far the most effective in getting clickbait and people clicking on the website. Headlines are getting more and more and more negative. In other words, if you're you're writing a headline for any kind of article, you want to write things like, the palace is angry at Netflix, the crown. Ooh, I'm going to click that because I like that series. I'm going to click that. Or Prince William is angrier than ever with Harry. I'm clicking on that. You're almost guaranteed to get a click on these kind of outrageous kind of of headlines. So they're leveraging this, and they're monetizing our anger, and it's backfiring on ourselves as a society. It's not that we just get angry about stuff in our own lives. It's now we live in a media world that you get angry about stuff that has nothing to do with you. And who cares about the crown and Netflix? But it just keeps getting pushed on us. So how do you deal with anger in a world that is intentionally, because there's money in it, trying to make you mad. Three very simple biblical concepts. Number one, you delay it. You just delay it. When you really want to give yourself a piece of your mind, you push pause. Push pause on that script that's running through your head. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, do not be quickly provoked uh, in, in your spirit. For anger resides in the lap of fools. All right, quick show of hands. This is not a spin on you. Who here has learned to never, ever, 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 ever send a a text or an email or a post or leave a phone message when you're mad? Anyone do that? And anyone learn by doing it the wrong way and regretting it? Uh Uh-huh. A researcher by the name of John Gottman calls that flooded. When you do that, you're doing that because you're flooded. Flooded is when you feel like you are, you are so flush with hormones in that argument, in that moment, that when you find yourself getting really, really angry, the adrenaline from all that fight or flight stuff going, kicking in your body is that when you're flooded, you do dumb things. You literally cannot learn or understand anything. When someone's angry, the, the blood flow to what you call the thinking part of your brain it literally shuts down. It just shuts down. 
And our built-in fight or flight response kicks into physical danger mode right away. It's like you're walking down in the gorge, which you wouldn't do that anyway. That's not a good example. You're walking downtown, and, and all of a sudden a mountain lion jumps out at you from Pack and Save or something. And, and what happens is without even thinking, you run, right? It's just God's gift to keep you alive. Those times are rare. problem is we apply it to like everything. Everything's a mountain lion now. Uh, there's a red or a blue candidate in front of you, and you're the opposite color during election year. Mountain lion fight. Uh, an unmasked person is sitting on the bus during a pandemic protocol. Mountain lion fight. Or a kid on their phone misses the green turn signal on Ulster Street. Honk, mountain lion fight. See, anger sparks this flooded response when I feel threatened when I think something's going to take something away from me. And so I don't think, I just react. And when that happens, it's literally pointless to have any conversation at all with an angry person because your thinking part of your brain is just not online. You're offline for a while. Having a logical argument, having a logical conversation is physically impossible in that heated moment. And that's why the only wise thing to do is take a break. Most researchers say you need to take at least a 20-minute break for things to calm down. Take, sometimes it can be all day long. Uh, married people, they know what this is about, right? We marry people, we get this. We know it's very wise to sometimes say, you know what? We'll talk about this later. And that's wise if you set a time to actually talk about it later. Um, even my four-year-old daughter, Brianna, after I've been trying to be funny with her way too long, and she's over it, she actually looks at me and says, let's just not talk about this anymore. Like, far out. And my child sends me the timeout, and it's awful. Delay it. You delay it. You don't deny it. You push pause, and you cool down. Second very simple biblical principle is after you delay it is you analyze it. Analyze it. Proverbs 17, 27. Whoever has understanding is even tempered. What it means is you ask one simple question, why? Why am I angry? It doesn't mean you ask yourself, why is that person such an idiot? That's not the question you ask. You ask, why am I so angry? What's kind of underneath the anger? Because almost always, anger is a second emotion that's been triggered by a first emotion. So you've got to ask, what triggered it? What triggered the anger? Because um, it's always some other emotion. I feel frustrated, or I feel held back, or I feel unlistened to, or I feel afraid, or I feel insecure, I feel disrespected. What triggers the anger? First step to understanding it. This doesn't give you an excuse, now that I know what triggered me, now I'm going to let you have it. That's not what that means. Being triggered doesn't mean you then pull that trigger. What it means is it helps you look in the mirror and kind of see what your anger reveals about yourself. Simple self-awareness. For example, when I was a young, hot-headed uni student, my anger came from stress because I was the worst procrastinator. And, and I was procrastinating so much. And what I had to realize that my procrastination was an issue of perfection. I was such a perfectionist that that became such a hard issue for me because I just had to prove that I was better than everybody else. So I was always behind, always late, always stressed, always angry. And FOMO. FOMO was a real thing for me in uni. Fear of missing out. Very, very real to me because I wanted to be liked by everybody. So I had to deal with these two things. See, most people that deal with anger management issues, they come to a realization that um, when it comes to anger, they're always angry because they're always in the center 
of the equation. It's always about me. It's about my pride. It's about my convenience, about my feelings, about my rights. And until we step out of the center of the equation, we're never going to be able to deal with the anger issues. And the way you step out of the center is the third and final simple biblical application, and that is you replace it. You simply replace it. You replace your anger. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about this. Actually, a lot to say about this. And basically, it falls in two categories. You replace anger with one of two things. First, with positive response, positive action. Look at what Jesus says. Luke chapter 6. It's part of a bigger sermon. And he's talking about, this bigger sermon is talking about what's it mean to be unprovocable. Right? Unprovoked. That's what the whole sermon, Luke 7, Luke 6 is all about. It's about how people are going to come and push your button and push your button and push your button and push your button, push your button. How do you let them not do that? How do you let yourself not be provoked? And he says this. What you do instead is you replace it and you love your enemies. You do good to those who hate you. You bless those who curse you. You pray for those who mistreat. You transform your anger into common, good, loving service. You make that switch. Um, I would say, especially when you're feeling yourself getting really angry about the evil in the world, you watch the news and get really angry about whatever, you don't just sit in the living room and get mad and you just don't post on, on Instagram or Facebook, I just saw this news and I'm so angry, who cares? You do something, you do something. For instance, um, you're really bothered by the crisis of teen pregnancy and, and uh, how hard teen moms have it when it comes to life. You don't just get mad about that. all oh, those kids. They just don't. No, you don't talk about that. Instead, you talk to the Vircos. You go say, how can I get involved and help out at House of Grace? How can I be part of the answer and make a difference? And you channel, channel the anger into something that's positive and life-giving. You roll up your sleeves and you do something instead of steeping yourself in, angry, in anger. Jesus actually goes as far as saying, you pray for them because he knows that's where the switch gets flipped. You pray for them. Here's the challenge. Here's the challenge of the week. Who's the person you're most upset with right now? Right? Okay, I'm going to go through and everybody say their name now. <laughs> Who's the person that's most upset with right now? Who are you angry with right now? You pray for them. And you don't pray that they change it. No, you, you pray that they would know God's love and God's grace. And that I'd be able to show God's grace to them. That I'd be able to walk alongside them. We can find a, a connection point. That we can find a solution. That you pray what, that they get what's best in life that Jesus has planned for them. You replace your anger with positive action. You place your anger with positive input. Proverbs 26 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, contention dies down. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious person for kindling strife. The writer says, like, this is basically the Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, he's basically saying this, just get a little less upset, would you? He was saying, don't let the knuckleheads out there push your buttons because they're trying to push your buttons. But I get it. I get it because there's so much bad stuff out there, right? There is so much bad news in the world and so much evil and so many people doing so many horrific things. And the reason that we think that is because it's a math product. It's a, it's a math problem that has created this. See, the amount of information... The amount of information that you see online, on the news, reading in the newspaper, it, it grows every year. 
social feeds, social media feeds. It increases every single year, right? But the number of minutes that you have to read or watch it stays exactly the same every year. Nobody has come up with a way to add minutes to our day. Hasn't happened yet. So the more and more content is getting pushed our direction. And people are trying to get your eyes and your clicks on this content because it makes money for the website because they get more advertising and things. Um, but you only have a certain amount of minutes to read it, right? So for example, let's say in 2014, just for argument's sake, you got 500 stories pushed your way online, whatever it is, you're able to read about 100, right? 20%. You're able to read 20% of what's there. Um, because even if you're a fast reader, it's only so much you can read. Uh, but because you tend to click on the angry headlines and the stuff that gets you outraged, you start to just focus on all the bad stuff about life. And, and your echo chamber becomes 20% of all that's bad in the world. And that's all you hear. That's all you hear. Now, fast forward to 2023, there's like 10 times as much now out there. So you're getting pushed like 5,000 stories pushed at you right now. And you only have time to read 100, which means now you're only assessing about 2% of all the news that's out there. And it's all outrageous. It's all outrageous news. It's all made to push your buttons, to get you to clickbait it, to follow it, to go to their website so they can get more advertisers. And what happens is we're developing a more and more and more and more extreme view of reality. Your brain sees that outrageous 2%. And that's all the stories you're getting in your head. And you start to think that the whole world is like that little 2% of the most outrageous of all stories. Like the yoga instructors and the vegans and the clowns that are all outraged. Or about labor or national or vaxxed or non-vaxxed or ram-raiding young people or out-of-touch elderly or Christians. Seeing how much clickbait is out there about Christians? The amount of stories about weirdo Christians out there right now, it's outrageous. I mean, I'm a Christian. Public confession. Um, I don't know a single Christian who's like that story I read about those people at that boycott or those people at that protest or the whole bishop ring thing or, or about hate speech or about that commune or shooting that, that, um, at that abortion claim. I don't know any Christians like that, but the whole world seems to know them but me. It's that 2% of clickbait. See, what I do know is that people who don't know Christ followers, they think all we Christians are like that 2% of the most outrageous clickbait that's out there. And the same thing can be happening and can be applied to any demographic, any racial demographic, any relational demographic, any political demographic, any sexual demographic, any demographic, it's all out there. We're getting exposed to the weirdos of the world and we start thinking that the whole world is weird and we gotta separate. And I can't know my neighbor, I can't talk to that person. They're like, I could tell. They're, I saw the bumper sticker. And so we start separating, separating, separating. It's intentional. It's a business plan. People are pushing this stuff in your direction because they're making money off of your outrage. We're getting played. We're getting played. When you click on a headline, it gets that web page more views. They can charge more for their ads. And they play us and they play us and play us. And all of a sudden, we see the world not by interacting with people. We see the world just through this little, tiny, little, itty-bitty window. 
2% of all the weird stuff comes across my newsfeed. And I click it, I watch it, I'm like, oh, yeah, another one of them. But Jesus shows up, and he shows us how to have a much bigger picture of the world, a much lovelier picture of the world, a colorful picture of the world. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be completely unprovocable when there's angry people all around you. The Bible says in 2 Peter, chapter 2, final verse of 1 Peter, chapter 2, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insult at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges, judges justly. See, when you're facing a world with faith, with a faith that can trust in a loving God who's in charge, who's God because we're not, who is sovereign, who's ultimately in control, the world is not just crazy anymore because we see stories about God bringing good out of chaos, life out of death, new out of old. And when your imagination is captured by the reality of God's presence and the reality of his love for you and the reality of his promises, it changes everything that you see, everything you see. And you start to see very easily that God is at work in everything instead of thinking that God is missing in everything. So really the key question here is simply what's filling you up? What do you put in your head? What do you put in your heart? What's filling you up? Because like a, like a full glass of, of water or something, whatever's inside you, when you get bumped, it spills out, right? It spills out. So what's going to get spilled out when you get bumped, when you get triggered, when you get angry? If you are so full of anger and insecurity and rage and outrage, then the slightest little thing that triggers you, that's what's going to come out. And it's going to be scary. And you're going to scare loved ones and neighbors and church mates and people just kind of stay away. But when you fill yourself with a focus on the grace of God, his grace for you and his love for you, that even though I'm a sinner, he loves me anyway and he sent his son for me anyway. I was a mess and Jesus died on the cross for me anyway. And that we're all the same. We're all in that same boat. And we're all lost. And we all need Jesus. We all need God's love. And he loved and saved all of us. That all we have to do is to accept his undeservingly and unwavering and unconditional love for us. Through the resurrected power of Jesus Christ and simply follow Jesus. When that grace captures your imagination, becomes the filter in which you see everything. Busts open that phone to a big window. Grace spills out when you get triggered. Grace spills out when you get angry. Love and kindness and compassion is what you're known for. And the easiest, most transformational way to let the words of God wash through us and come back out of us instead of the words of that podcaster and that newscaster and that blog is simply by putting our nose back in the Bible. We have got to let God's word speak to us again. We get so busy, and there's so much we're reading and watching, we forget to start what's life-giving. 
So this is what I propose. Out front, we have printed out about 75 of the one-year chronological Bibles. This is a reading plan. It takes you about 15 minutes a day. 20 if you read in the morning, because it's like, I can't see it yet. And it's broken up chronologically. It's not the order of the books of the Bible. You're going to have to kind of, you know, flip around your pages of your Bible a little bit. Because what it does is it gives you the story of God's salvinic work in the world and in our lives as it happened, like a real story. From, from the beginning to Revelation, what were the events that happened and how? Because it gives you a better understanding of God's character and God's love and the extent that he went to show us his love. So what I propose is starting tomorrow, February 27th, we all start a one-year Bible plan to read through the whole Bible chronologically. You can do it by printed, and we'll print some more if we need it, but that same plan is on the version app that some of you have downloaded, and you can follow it the same way. So on tomorrow, on the 27th, you go to that app, you push it, there's a little point where you can say, catch me up, and it'll start the reading on this 27th of February, and we all read it together. And everybody that joins this community throughout the year, they just pick up right where we left off. And they keep going, and we just make this a regular practice of who we are. Because as we understand God's story, as we understand his accent by listening to his words through scripture, we get to pay attention to him, and we see him at work all around us, in our work, in our family, in our neighborhood, and we get to join him where he is. But we got to know his voice. So I propose that you make a choice that will completely transform you and allow God to speak to you and allow you to hear him as you're driving and walking because you know his voice. And instead of allowing the outrageous 2% to speak into your life, you allow God to speak into your life and watch that spill out when you get bumped. But the choice is yours. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, the extent that you have gone to show us you love us. Jesus, the extent you have gone to show us what it means to follow you. The stories we read in the Bible, the extent that people went to be different from the world and instead to be like you, Jesus, in how we respond and act and do things. It's transformational. It's amazing. It's eye-opening. But what it does is it addresses the very issues in life that keep people from you. God, help us to be a people that listen to your voice more than we listen to the noise. Help us be a people that allow you to transform you by spending time with you, by reading your passage and your scripture and your Bible and your word, by praying and talking to you through prayer, by discussing with friends and family what you're hearing and noticing about God that you've never seen before. So God, we submissively put ourselves in your hands once again. I ask that this year ahead, that for those of us that choose to read your scripture and your story for the rest of the year, I ask that you would change us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that what's inside of us is what comes out, that no matter what happens around us, we're able to see you involved and join you where you are, be like you in that situation, and show the kindness and love and compassion and prayer and mercy that we sometimes read about find so hard to live out. So God, we give ourselves to you and ask you to take us and change us and make us like your son, Jesus. We do this all in his name. Amen.